Hi, I'm Jennifer Matthewson Spear, and you have joined us today for a Word of Joy podcast. We lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in the accordance with the lust. In other words, this old self just going to keep getting worse and worse. There's, there's no redemption for the old self. You know, salvation is not taking the old us and making us better. It is dying to the old and new life in Christ. And now he says in verse 23, And that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. That you be renewed. You be made new spiritually in the thinking part of you. Now, why does he why is he so concentrated on the thinking part of us? Because what you believe determines how you behave. And he says, your thinking has got to be changed. How do we do that? I'm going to give you some verses that are pretty familiar. Romans 12, 2. Don't be conformed to this world. That word conformed means poured into the world's mold. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. That means made completely new by the renewing of your mind. So what makes our mind spiritually new? The Word of God. God's Word. Jesus prays for his disciples in John 17, 17, that they would be sanctified in truth. Thy word is truth. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. This is a familiar passage to any of you that ever went to Bible school in your life. All scripture is given by God, inspired by God, and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, training in righteousness, that the person, the man of God, a believer, may be mature and equipped for every good work. In that passage in 2 Timothy, Paul, again, I mean, he's comparing people that don't know the Lord and people that know the Lord. And while he's talking about people that know the Lord, he says, now, here's your greatest weapon, the word of God. All scripture is from God and it's profitable for teaching. It's going to teach us what we need to lay aside. But then it says it's also profitable for reproof and for correction. It's going to tell us what to quit, what to stop. And that's why this is not some behavior modification. It's why it is not some list of do's and don'ts because what the Holy Spirit needs to work on me is to lay aside is probably different then the things you need to lay aside. He's saying the word of God is what's going to dig that out of you so that you can be trained in righteousness. Those of you that are athletes, if you ever play, or your children ever played on an athletic team, if all the coach ever did was tell you what you did right and did good, he would just be doing half of his job. He needs to to pick out what you are not doing right and bring it to your attention so that it can be corrected. That's what scripture does for us. It's not just saying, oh, now you need to behave this way and do this and and don't do that. He's correcting so that we are trained in righteousness, so that we are mature, so that we are equipped for whatever God wants us to do. And for those of us that grew up in church, our moral compass isn't too bad. By somebody else's standards, 
if we're going to measure it by everybody else, we're going to use people as the measurement. Our moral compass is pretty good. I mean, some of you have grown up, you are devout in your religion. You are generous with your money. You, you can check off the list. This is what scripture does. It gets into some really tight places. Listen to what Hebrews 4.12 says. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of the soul and the spirit. That's pretty close. Of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Listen, you might, you might, when you compare yourself to other people, you might kind of come out on top. But the word of God is going to get into your very heart and soul, your intentions, your motivation, and only the word of God can do that. It says it's living, it's alive, it's active, it's a two-edged sword. That word two-edged means it, it, come, it cuts coming and going. It's sharp. And guess what? We are responsible for knowing the word of God. That is our dependent responsibility. It is our choice. It is our responsibility to know it. Now, does that mean you have to sit and, and you have to know all the Greek and the Hebrew and you need to be able to do I don't do that. I can't do that. Does it mean you have to understand every word of every verse? Does it mean you have to memorize volumes and volumes of Scripture? No, but it means that you have got to pick it up and read it. You've got to let the Holy Spirit use it to be a teacher in your life. There is something, and I don't mean to sound mystical, there is something supernatural about the Word of God that the Holy Spirit has so infused it that He uses it, and it becomes a deep well in our lives that when something needs to be corrected, when something needs to be adjusted, the Holy Spirit can dig into that well and show it to us. And it is our responsibility to know the Word of God. I had a dear lady tonight says, what's a great, what's a good Bible for me? And she told me a little bit about her background. And, you know, I was so impressed that she wanted to know. She wanted to pick up God's word and, and hear for herself and read for herself what he has to say. This is not floating jellyfish style through the Christian life. This is an aggressive, intentional pursuit of the things of God. Lay aside the old, be renewed. And then the third and final instruction he gives us in verse 24, and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Put on is another one of those words, just like lay aside, that is often associated with a garment. You are righteous. You are positionally righteous. Now put on this garment of living righteously. Well, what happens when you put on a garment? Other people can see it. And he tells us what the fabric of that garment is made out of. Righteousness and holiness of the truth. That garment is Christ himself. And we are putting on Christ. We are cooperating with the Holy Spirit. We are transformed on the inside so that we are living in obedience, cooperating with him, and it comes out on the outside. It is not behavior modification. It is not a list of do's and don'ts. It is living out what God is doing inside of you. Romans 6, 4 says, we have newness of life. 
Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16, we have the mind of Christ. Now exercise that mind and live out this new life that you have been giving us. So, so what are we doing? We're laying aside the old, renewing the mind, and putting on the new. That's as simple as it gets, y'all. I hope that's as practical. That is as practical as I can make it. That is not some big, heavy, theological, I can't do this, I can't understand that. Yes, you can. Here's a question. Can a saved person go back? Can a saved person go back and live like a lost person in the futility of their mind, estranged from God, heart calloused, desiring to satisfy their own senses, living in pure selfishness. Can they go back? Yeah, they can. With one difference. With one difference. If they really belong to the Lord, he will discipline them. He didn't discipline lost people. They're not his own. Hebrews tells us that, who, Hebrews 12, 6, those who the Lord loves, he disciplines He is not going to allow his child to live in rebellion to him unscathed. Now, let me tell you something about discipline. Discipline does not mean punishment. God is not out to look for ways to zap us when we get out of line. That is not what the word discipline means. The word discipline means correcting to get back on the right road. I was disciplined a lot in my childhood. Sometimes it was punishment, and sometimes it was just verbal correction to get me back on the right track. And God says he will discipline those that he loves. Some people that we believe are Christians go back, and only the Lord knows their heart. But I have to think that many times they never knew the Lord to start with. And they just got tired of trying to live up to this Christian life, and they just went back. It was just easier. And maybe they never knew him to start with. I'm not the one to make that call. Only God can. But ladies, we are never... I said, can somebody go back and live completely like that? Yeah, they can. God will discipline them. But guess what? We are not to even take one look back. Not one step back. It would be like picking up a piece of that old dead cat and sticking it in your pocket. I like that part of that cat. I'm going to hang on to that piece. Guess what? pollute the whole body make all of you stink make all of your body stink but us religious people that have grown up in church and we kind of know how to do this thing so we think if we take one step back into religiosity to legalism to condescending looking down our nose, thinking we've got it all together because we've been in church longer. We know more verses. We've been to more Bible studies. we got all the Sunday school pens. We have just picked up a piece of that dead rabbit, that beautiful, 
dead rabbit, and we have put it in our pocket because that fits us. That, we like that part. But guess what? It'll stink up the place too. Don't go back. Don't even look back. And then Paul gives us five behaviors talking about laying aside, renewing the mind, putting on this new life. Five behaviors that are lived out in the context of relationships with other people. You know, it would just be so easy, much easier to be a Christian on a deserted island. I'm telling you, I had the privilege of working from home. I do all my ministry stuff at home. When I'm not traveling, I'm at home. I'm writing. I'm studying. I'm praying. I mean, it is so, it's just me and God. It is so wonderful. And then Alan comes home. (laughs) And I got to live it out with a real life person. This Christian life is not lived in isolation. It's lived out in relationship. And he's going to give us five areas. I don't know why he chose these specific ones, but he did. Look what he says. Therefore, in verse 25, now there's the word therefore. We also had it in verse 17. Therefore, when you see therefore, what's it there for? Based on the previous information. Therefore, you have laid aside the old. Your mind has been renewed. And you, are, you have put on this new way of living. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Lay aside lying. Lay aside lying. Satan is the father of lies. And if a person is lying, they are just protecting the flesh. If there is anything in our life that we have to lie about in order to continue in, I can guarantee you it's a sin. He says, put aside lying. Why? He elevates the reason. It's not because lying is bad. It's because we're connected to one another and lying has an effect on families. It has an effect on friendships, on churches. It has an effect because we are connected with one another. We are to speak the truth. That's the putting on. Put on truth. Speaking truthfully to one another. No lying. Now, you know what? I I can say, I can look at that in my religiosity and say, well, I I don't ever lie. And the Holy Spirit can take that and somehow dig something out of my very intentions and my motives and convict me. Why? Because he wants to wag a finger at me and tell me how. No, because he wants me to live in victory. He wants me to live to the fullness of God. And then he says the second thing. Here's a good one. Verse 26. These are practical. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And do not give the devil an opportunity. Lay aside sinful anger. Sinful anger. Anger is a valid emotion. But what you do with it, what makes you angry, and how long you hang on to it matter. We can be righteously angry. Jesus was angry about some stuff. Now, don't use that as an example to just get angry about whatever behooves you. That's a really good southern word. (laughs) Right, Betty Jo? We're to lay aside 
anger that controls us. We're not to let the sun go down on our anger. What does that mean? Does that mean you really can never go to bed mad? I think it just means in a broader sense, don't hang on to it. Because when you hang on to anger, it becomes bitterness. And Hebrews tells us that bitterness takes root in our lives, and it goes down so deep that even though you think you're the only one affected by it, it affects everybody around you. And don't give the devil an opportunity. That word opportunity means you become his pawn. That's what it means. Remember the schemes of the devil? I put it in your notes. He wants to destroy your unity with God, with your family, and with other believers. And one of the ways he can do that is to let bitterness settle into your heart. Years and years ago, um, at a church that my late husband and I served in, there was a man that God really raised up to make a strong stand against the abortion industry. Right across the street from our church was an abortion clinic. And he made such a strong stand. He organized people. He, he, um, this was in the 80s, so the, this was all very new to the church and our response to it. And God raised up a great ministry with him. But in six years, we watched that man in his righteous anger become a bitter, angry, discontent person. This righteous anger had gotten somewhere into him, and it had just eaten him alive. Paul said, you don't want to live that way. Lay it aside. Lay it aside. Third thing, verse 28. Let him who steals, steal no longer, but rather let him labor, performing with his own hands what is good in order that he may have something to share with him who is need. Lay aside stealing. Verse 28, work so that, and he raises the motivation here so that you can be generous. And, you know, I read that verse and I go, whew, I got that one. I am not a thief. That word, the Greek word is klepto. <laughs> it is. And I say, oh, I don't, I don't, I don't do that. So I'm not going to worry about that. And I do work and I do earn my money and I do give. So there you go. I got that one down. Don't we kind of do scripture that way sometimes? But wait just a minute. In this world, there are givers and takers. And I don't just mean with money. You are either a giver or a taker. You are either a depleter or a replenisher. And this verse, the Holy Spirit, remember, he can get into some tight places in us, can reveal things about us that we're taking. You know, we, we, we all know people that just love chaos and they love conflict. They are argumentative and they like a fight and they come into the room and guess what? They steal everybody's peace. They're not givers. They're takers. And you know the kind of people I'm talking about, they just moan and groan and complain and something's always wrong. They're those EGRs. And they come in a room and guess what? They just suck the life out of the room. They're takers. They're not givers. Stop stealing. Stop stealing. That's what the Word of God does. It kind of gets into tight places with all of us. 
applying scripture to all of us. And now look what he says. Turn my Bible, i got to turn the page. Verse 29. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, that it may give grace to those who hear. Lay aside rotten, worthless speech. The Bible has so much to say about what we say, our tongue, our speech. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And guess what? We can fake it for a little while, but pretty soon us is going to slip out. Renew the mind. See what Scripture says about our tongue. Surrender to the Holy Spirit when He is speaking to you about the way. And you know, I used to tell my boys, it's not always what you say sometimes, it's just how you say it. This is to give a word that builds up in the need of the moment, and then gives grace to everyone who hears. Guess what? Just not the person you're speaking to is going to receive this grace, but everybody that hears it. And remember what grace is? It's something they don't deserve. You're given something out of kindness and mercy and graciousness, a word. You just let that fall where it may. Because I don't know where it falls with you, but I know there's a lot of times I just need to shut up. And then look at verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. That word grieve is a relationship word. It's a love word. I was a pastor's wife and a pastor's daughter for many, many years. And I have visited a lot of funeral homes. I've seen a lot of people die. Death has been as much a part of my life being in ministry as anything and I've been so saddened in so many of those occasions. But I have never grieved until my precious husband of 21 years died. Why? Because grief is a love word. An unbeliever can't grieve the Holy Spirit. Only a believer. He said, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. But then he gives us a real sweet promise there. Who sealed you for the day of redemption? He's not going to let you go just because you grieved him. He's still got a hold of you. He's still holding on to you. We don't have to hold on to God. He holds on to us. We have to trust him and walk in obedience. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. And then we end with verse 31 and 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Let's look at that first. Paul gives an escalating list there. He says, put this away. Put it up. Take it off. Get rid of it. Bitterness is a settled disposition that poisons the inner man. This is an escalating list. Bitterness leads to wrath, which is an explosion on the outside because of a feeling on the inside. Anger, reaching forth to bring vengeance. Clamor, fist fighting, brawling, actual physical fighting. Slander is the next thing. That is fighting with words. And malice is the last thing, which is depravity and evil. So this should not be any part of your life. Put it away. Put it away. And in its place, put on, and look what he says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, Forgiving each other just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Kindness means to furnish what is needed 
It's graciousness. And I think kindness is one of those words that's a little hard to define, but you sure know it when you've experienced it. Kindness, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Why? Because you've been forgiven. That means to that forgiving that first time means to graciously pardon. But guess what? You and I cannot remove sin from somebody else's life. But we can release them from any shame or obligation to us. God is the one that has to forgive them, to pardon them, to take it away from them. And we've received that kind of forgiveness. And now we're to show graciousness. We don't have time to go into it tonight, but forgiveness, biblical forgiveness is not denying the hurt. It still hurts. It's not negating the consequences. Oh, I'm fine. It doesn't matter that you did that to me. Of course it matters. Biblical forgiveness is not automatic restored trust in the one that hurt you. Biblical forgiveness is not a one-time event, a one and done. I forgive you, and you never have to deal with it again. Usually it's over and over and over and over. You just got to keep forgiving. And forgiveness is not something we do only when we've been asked for it. We give it anyway. This is a very different way than the world lives. Lay aside the old. Don't go back. Don't even look back. Let Scripture renew your mind. Let the Holy Spirit teach you and then bring it to mind and show you how to live and then put it on and walk in it. Alan and I got married in 2006. We both lost our spouses in 2005. His wife passed away of a heart attack at 48. My husband was killed in a car accident. Between us, we had five children, all of them very traumatized by the sudden loss of a parent. We got married. We put all five of those traumatized kids together. Alan and I were traumatized. Our home was chaos. And I don't say that lightly or flippantly. It was a mess. It was a wreck. Older children hated one another. The two youngest, I couldn't walk out of the room without a fist fight breaking out. Alan and I could not have been more different in temperament and the way we parented or the way we even faced life. When, he, when, when I got married, I was so broken, I couldn't decide which pair of socks to put on in the morning. Well, guess what? Alan could make a decision and never think twice about it. He could tell me what pair of socks to put on. And I let him. And then a little while into our marriage, I didn't need for him to tell me which socks to put on. I could do that myself. But guess what? He was already used to telling me what to do. We, our marriage, for the first seven years of our marriage, I had plan B, what I was going to do when I got out of this thing. And I don't say that lightly. I had a stepson who was 10 years old. His mother had him when she was 40. There's 13 years between him and his older sister, nine years between him and his older brother. And she, he was the apple of her eye. And then he found her on the bathroom floor. And now I'm the new stepmom. Well, you know, there are perks to being the youngest of five traumatized children. Everybody babies you a little bit. David was 10 years old. David went to this church. And I want to tell you something. He's 24, and he's apple of my eye right now. But when I got him, he was so spoiled rotten. And one of my jobs was to sit with him in the afternoon and get that homework done before Alan got home, before everybody came to dinner. And David did not want to do his homework. He, he, somebody had always helped him with homework. And I, being a teacher, I, I wasn't going to do his homework for him. 
I was going to teach him how to read the topic sentence and figure out if the answer to the question was in that paragraph. But he didn't want to do it that way. And I want to tell you something. We tussled and tumbled, and I would get so mad. And now I'm in the chaos of this hideously awful, dysfunctional home. I got shingles six months into it. Every afternoon for two years at 2.30, I had a I can't breathe, I'm having a heart attack, panic attack. And then I would have it again at 2.30 in the morning for two solid years. Now, how am I supposed to walk it out? I'll never forget one day, David and I were at the kitchen table and I was cooking and he was mad at me. He was mad at me because I wouldn't tell him the answer. And I was just as stubborn back. I wasn't going to tell him the answer. And the more we resisted one another, you could just feel the hostility growing. As long as I live, I will never forget standing there in that kitchen looking at him. He was so mad and I was so mad at him. I, I could beat him with a wet noodle. And God said to me, a soft answer turns away wrath. Where'd that come from? Well, I learned that probably when I was six years old in Bible school. It's some verse in Proverbs. I couldn't even tell you where it was. But the Holy Spirit dug into that well, and he produced what I needed in that moment. A soft answer turns away wrath. And I had a choice right then and there, cooking dinner in the kitchen, mad at my stepson. I had a choice to listen to the Holy Spirit and put aside anger. Whatever else was in that list that I was experiencing. And to show kindness and be tender-hearted and forgiving to a little traumatized 10-year-old boy who knew how to push my buttons. See, it's a choice how we live this Christian life. And we don't live it in the theatrical or the dramatic, experiencing overtly miraculous events every day. We do it one step at a time, one moment at a time, one thought at a time, one word at a time, one choice at a time, surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ while the Holy Spirit is at work in us and then through us as we surrender. It just doesn't get any more practical than that. This isn't magic. This is an intentional pursuit. And I challenge you, don't go back, don't go back, don't go back. Don't even look back. Look forward. Lay aside. Be renewed. Put on. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you are so clear. And it is so, so understandable by all of us, no matter what background, no matter how much church we've had, no matter how much Bible study we've had, but that you make it clear to us and that we would be so hungry to know more. Knowing that you are at work in us both to will and to do your good pleasure. Thank you, Father, for your mercy and your grace toward us that you never give up, you never let us go. May we live in the beauty of this relationship in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us today for this Word of Joy podcast. 
If you would like to know more about the ministry of Word of Joy or you would like to know more about the resources that are available, just take a look at our website at www.wordofjoy.org.